to steal this guy. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the beginning of this identity statement for us as a church. It's uh, this word that you could like slip right on by, and the word is community. And we want to do um, nothing at all like slip right on by this word. We don't want to take it for granted or assume that it's just a word that doesn't really mean anything as we talk about who we are and what we're becoming. We want to press into it for a little bit tonight and lay a groundwork for the next few weeks. So that's where we're going. Um, but I, I did neglect to mention something earlier that I really want to call attention to about um, the ways that other faith communities have been supporting us, and it's this. So uh, Crosspoint Church, so amazing with their gift to us. But I'm not sure we've ever told you before of a couple of other ways that churches are supporting us that I just want us to know so we can be grateful together. Um, one is that the church that Dan and Katie Dietrich came from in St. Joe, Michigan, First Church of God, uh, they actually send us a support check every month. And um, yeah, it's a really big deal when like, I sit with a senior pastor and say, I'm taking your guy with me to South Bend, you know? <laughs> and then I'm tempted to think, what does it mean that they're sending me money to take you? <laughs> but the, the, prob the problem with that is Granger Community Church gave us even more money for me to go away. <laughs> and so the other, the other faith community that's been really generous is Granger Community Church, where I worked uh, for a while, Amanda worked as well. And Granger actually um, wrote such a generous check to this work that their heart was to uh, provide for, for my salary so it wouldn't be a burden on the church. So I'm, I'm continuing to actually live in Granger's generosity for a season here. So I just want us to know that like we are here, um, and we're going to talk a lot about this next week, we are a community of grace, not just because we have grace to give, but we are the recipients of so much unmerited kindness. We just, like every day of our life as a church, we are living in generosity that comes to us from outside of ourselves, and all of it reminds us of our God whose like, fundamental disposition to us is, is one of generosity. So now I'm stealing Ryan's sermon for next week. Let me get back to this week, and we're going to talk about community, the first word and what we believe God is calling us to become. Uh, there's an interesting trend going on in Japan, and you may not have heard of it. The trend is called something like hikikomori. Let's try saying that on three. Hikikimori on three. One, two, three. Hikikimori. Yeah, excellent. Not bad. The trend is this. Somewhere between half a million and a million 15 to 30-year-olds in Japan now live entirely in their bedroom for up to six months at a time. I'm not making this up. Really well documented. Look this up. Between half a million and a million 15 to 30-year-olds, mostly young men, are living their lives in their bedroom. They do not leave except maybe to go to the bathroom, and then maybe once a week at night, like two in the morning, they'll go to a convenience store where they're pretty sure nobody else will be except for the cashier so they can encounter as few humans as possible. And this is going on for months at a time. It's such a trend that economists are writing about its economic impact on the country of Japan. It's a, such a trend that sociologists and psychologists are trying to figure out what's going on. It's, it's obviously pretty toxic, but half a million to a million 15 to 30-year-olds not leaving their room for like six months at a time. They live on the internet. They live with their music, with their streaming video. They live with the things they can get into the room digitally, but they live with none of this. None of one human being looking another human being in the eye. No... Um, hand on the back, no handshakes, no hugs, no, just a raw human voice hitting your ears, not over a digital connection, but right there in the room with you. They live with none of that, and it's like a million of them happening that way. And I was reading about this trend, and I was, I was kind of like, I was kind of having like pity and thinking that's really pathetic, and like, 
you know, I just had all these strange feelings about all these young, mostly men living that way, and then I remembered my freshman year of college. <laughs> and I'm not making this up. For several weeks, my freshman year at Bethel, I just bought packs of hot dogs and let them, like, live in their dorm refrigerator, and I microwaved them for every meal. True story, because I was afraid to go to the dining commons and not have anyone to sit with. Oh, I know, right? This is, this is, a, this is a little part of my experience. Don't worry, Mom, I'm okay now. I know. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I could have come home. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Yeah. This was, this was legitimately a part of my experience. Um, now, these are a couple of extreme examples, right? And some of it's fear-based or shame-based or insecurity-based or shyness-based or something like that, right? But I also think that this may be a really intense example of a really big question that's just happening in the world right now about what it means to be human, especially as we have access to more and more digital connection um, and, and in some instances, we're discovering that more and more digital connection leads to less and less community, right? Not always the case. I mean, sometimes digital connection is awesome, right? Like, we're in this room tonight because we were able to email you and text about it and check in on each other. So it can be a beautiful gift, right? But I also think that there's just questions that are always being asked about what it means to be human and to what extent, like, looking one another in the eye, um, having real conversations with one another, allowing yourself to be known by a community, I think there's a lot of important questions to ask about whether that's core to what it means to be human, right? Now, the story that we, we hold as a community about what it means to be human, we find it in the scriptures. Now, the first word of this story about what it means to be human, right in Genesis 1, the first word of this story about what it means to be human is that as God is doing his creating, as he's bringing light into the darkness and separating water and land and sky, and as he's filling those things with abundant, teeming life, the first thing we, we discover about ourselves in this story is that we are here to bear the image of God. That, that you and I have a divine dignity about walking through this world. This is important, by the way, because there are a lot of other stories being told at this time and place about what it means to be human. This is a bit of a tangent, but it's worth going there for a second. So the other stories, and we've talked about this a little bit before, but the other stories being told in the world at the time that Genesis is written, they all have a certain sort of uh, predictability to them, and they usually go something like this. So the one God's really mad at the other God because there's a bunch of gods in the heavens, and the divine conflict breaks out. And the one God kills the other God and takes the dead body of the God and rips the carcass in half, and half the carcass becomes the earth, and half the carcass becomes the heavens. Well, now the God's got a problem because he's got an earth and a heavens, and he's hungry. And he doesn't want to do any of the dirty work of maintaining the earth and the heavens. I mean the uncomfortable work, the no good work, right? So then he, the God kills another God who happens to be the son of the God that he first killed. He takes the blood of the son and then infuses it with the clay of the earth and makes human beings as slaves. That's a normal story from the same time and place where the text of Genesis comes to us. And then this Genesis story breaks in and it says, no, no, you're not here because of some divine conflict. You're here because of divine joy. You're not here as a slave. You're here to bear the image of God. You have a nobility to your life simply by being human, that that's what God intends for you and me. This is how this story begins. Bearers of the image of God. Now, this story doesn't just have particular things to say about God. or Sorry, about us. It also has particular things to say about God. Um, and one of the particular and peculiar things that slowly unfolds in this story is that we discover in some mysterious way that God is a community. Which is another way of talking about the Trinity, right? That God is Father and Son and Spirit. Now, we could spend like the rest of the year trying to sort out how that works, and 
There's some really smart people who've done really good work on it, and we could go there sometime. But I, I don't really want to like trouble us with that math problem right now. I simply want to invite us into the mystery that God is Trinity. God is community, Father and Son and Spirit. And that it, it appears like to be that, that the love that dwells between them is sort of um, the energy that fuels this universe and the reason that you and I are here. That God is community, that God is Trinity, that God is Father and Son and Spirit. Somehow three in one, not three totally distinct, not just gods, somehow three in one, somehow mysterious community of God. And you and I, by the way, the fundamental first word about us is that we are meant to bear that image. And what I'm really trying to say is you cannot bear the image of God alone because God is community. You can't bear the image of God alone if God is community, right? I mean, the only way to bear the image would be for us to do it together. Uh, that's, that's, that's like, that's like under, the, under the current of page after page of the scriptures that God is community and you and I are made to bear that image together, meant to have that love coexist between us together, meant to live that calling out together. Now, this explains, like, to me, all the stuff that we see in the book of Acts that is, like, so intensely communal. I don't know, maybe you noticed this um, as we were moving through the book of Acts, but as God is breaking into the world and helping a community of people, like, live out his life in the world, there's so much togetherness stuff going on, right? Like, in Acts chapter 2, this is right when the church is being birthed, and you already heard this. We looked at this, like, a couple of months ago, you know, or seven years ago when we were at the beginning of Acts in the series, Right? But Acts chapter 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These are things they're doing together. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. But all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Which, by the way, it almost makes it sound like that communal life they have is part of how God was pe adding people to their number, right? Like it was more than a good sermon in the public square that was drawing people to God through the church. It was the way they lived their lives together, the way they broke bread together, the way they sat in homes together. And then in the temple courts, like public places where they were together, they gathered together and they were able to look one another in the eye and remind one another of what they were learning about God and themselves through Jesus. It seems like that was so magnetic for a world that was so divided and so stratified by class and race and everything else. And by the way, am I talking about 2,000 years ago or today? I don't know, right? A world so divided and stratified and broken down, and there was something so compelling to the world about people from every walk of life and every background coming together and loving one another and looking each other in the eye and reminding each other what is true about us thanks to God and what he's done through Jesus. This isn't like a little world you tack on the beginning of what it means to be a church. This is like, this is like the, the vehicle of what church is, that we are together. It's not just a good sermon. It's not just good content. It's not just like religious services peddled out for consumers. It's human beings in a room together, looking each other in the eye, loving one another, caring for each other, walking through the difficult stuff together and figuring out how we're going to follow Jesus together. This is core for what it means to be a church. And it seems to be core for how the how the church drew people in, how the church said to others, there's something better for you in this world that you could be a part of, and there's a better knowledge of God that you could receive. Um, this explains, by the way, so much of what we are trying to do at South End City Church. So have you noticed that we sit in the round? 
This wasn't just because we couldn't figure out another way to put the chairs in the room, okay? This is really important to us. I hope that when you walk in the room, one of the things you realize is, oh, we're kind of all in this together. I don't, be honest, just has it ever been weird for anyone to have to kind of look across the room and see like other human beings? A little uncomfortable, but isn't it really good? A little uncomfortable? Yeah. But there's something really beautiful about the fact that when you come into this room, like you're not allowed to pretend that it's you and the preacher, right? Because <laughs> it isn't, you know? It's us together, following Jesus, practicing together. That's why we sit in the round like this. I want you to hear other people's voices. The command in Scripture isn't just sing to God, it's sing to one another, because something so powerful happens when we sing together and we hear one another's voices and we know we're not alone. So we sit in the round. Uh, we use some digital connection, like the South Bend City Church Collective on Facebook. Um, there's been some really beautiful stuff that's come out of that space. Maybe you don't know about it. Let me explain it again very briefly. So um, we, we discovered pretty quickly that this community has got stuff going on. We got people who have ideas like brunch club or let's go serve or let's go learn about something together. And we didn't feel like we should just use 40 minutes of every gathering just to list all the amazing things that people are doing that we could do together. So we created the South Bend City Church Collective on Facebook so that when you're doing something, you could raise your hand and say, hey, I'm doing this. Anybody want to join me? Right? I'm going to go serve the city in this way. I'm going to go watch a movie together. We're going to go bowling together. I don't know, but we're going to do these things. Anybody want to be a part of doing that stuff together? That's why we created that, because church is a community. South Bend City Church, the first word about us here is community, right? Um, this is why the hangout after service is really, truly important for us. And it's not like a rule, right? Like, if you got to go, we totally understand you got to go, right? You got other work to do or it's late or whatever, that's great. But this is why, like, like, when we've been scouring locations to meet in, we've worked very hard to make sure there's a place to hang out proximate. Like, at the Brick, we had the bar, which is great, which is just a natural place for a lot of people to connect. Here, by the way, we've got bakers, and our staff has been test driving bakers for weeks just to make sure that it's going to live up. Um, so, so that's, like, there for us. They're open till 11 tonight, by the way. And we've talked about this before, but... Um, it's been really beautiful to see how much so many of us have decided we're going to take ownership and make this a community, which is not something I can do for us or anybody else on staff can do alone, right? This is something we own together. So you see a new face, and you, you may not be the most gregarious, outgoing person in the world, but listen, I am a raging introvert, and if I can make it to 11 o'clock on a Wednesday night, you can too, okay? So, um, so we take ownership together, and we ask one another questions about where you're from and how did you find your way here? And little by little, we are growing into a community together through the afterhang, right? And we don't, we don't want to diminish that. Um, also, everybody knows the rule now. If you've been here more than once, you are a... Greeter. Guys, that was weak. You've done better before. If you've been here more than once, you are a... Greeter. greeter. Yeah, we really mean that. That's kind of our way of saying, like, you don't need anyone's permission to own the idea that somebody else belongs here. You know what I mean? Like, you, you don't need us to put a name tag around your neck for you to be endorsed to have some ownership in making this a great community for somebody else who may walk in a little timid or unsure if they're going to belong here. This is a shared project that we're working on together, and you guys are freaking champs at it. So we love seeing that. Um, and then also uh, an, another announcement for you. Another thing that we've done before and we're going to do again is in-home dinners. So the last Wednesday in March, can anybody help me with the date? 29? Thank you. The 29th of March, we're going to do the same thing we did in the fall. We're not going to do the Doubletree gathering. Instead, we're going to do in-home meals. There's no pressure. We're not going to pass around questions about your deepest sin struggle to share with 20 strangers. That's not going to happen. We're not going to pass around giving plates, although 
I might have thought about it. We're not going to do that. It's just a meal together, but really beautiful things happen over a, t- over a table with a meal together, right? So by the way, um, if you are interested in hosting an in-home dinner, the bar is super low. Like, as long as you don't have, I don't know, piranhas and pit bulls that are going to eat the kids, like, you're pretty much eligible to be a part of hosting an in-home dinner. Um, last time we had, like, all different arrangements. We had homes that were really ready to welcome kids. We had homes that weren't going to be able to welcome kids. We had, uh, I think the Piskers had, like, 73 people at their house, and they did a big buffet, and we had smaller groups, like five or ten in a home. We want to do that again and open that up to everybody here. So if you'd like to host an in-home dinner, email info at southbendcitychurch.com. And if you could, just let us know, like, how many people you think you could host, uh, if your place is kid-friendly or not, and we won't judge you if the answer is not. And give us your address just so we can make sure that we've got sort of a good distribution of locations around the area. Um, We don't know that we'll use everyone who volunteers just because if we have 40 people volunteer to host in-home dinners, those would be very intimate dinners. And so we'll um, we'll look at who's available, and then we'll kind of take it from there. But uh, please, uh, let us know if you'd like to host an in-home dinner. this stuff is really important to us. This is how we build community together. And it's not just, uh, sorry, I'm trying to make sense of my notes here. Thanks. It's, um, yeah, it's not just what happens on Wednesday night, right? It's the ways that we love each other on our daily life. It's the ways that we text each other and check in and live in community together. Now, um, one of the other things that we see in the book of Acts is that community is really, really hard. It's difficult, right? Like, have you been to Thanksgiving dinner with your family? If that's so challenging, then surely like other community is challenging too, right? The fact is that as we really get to know one another and as we go past like, how was your day? Fine. How was your day? Fine. See you later, right? As we like press in to really know one another, things get tricky. We find out that we have different ideas about politics, right? (laughs) We find out that some of us are like really needy, right? Some of us are like really good at connecting and other people are not. And some of us are extroverts and some of us are introverts. And some of us just really want to go to the South Bend Cubs and just hang out and watch a ball game. And for others, that just feels like worse than watching paint dry. And some of us like we're activists. And so the way we make friends is by getting active together and being in the trenches. And others, all we really want to do is just have one long coffee with one dear friend for three or four hours and just see how they're doing and just check in and just make sure we're okay. And just how's your heart, brother? And like, if that's not you, that can be awkward, right? I get it. Community can be really hard. Community can be hard because if you go far enough and long enough with people who love you, they're going to see some of your struggles. And if they love you, they might bring them up. Not to judge you or to hurt you or condemn you or to chase you away, but if you love someone and you see something that isn't quite working for the person you love, there's something inside you that wants to move toward that, right? Now, I'm not like endorsing everyone in this room to police everyone else's brokenness, right? But I'm saying that community can be really hard and messy. And one thing we believe about the church is it's got to be a community where there are absolutely no second-class citizens. It's got to be a community where, again, like whatever your politics, you belong. And like you don't have to worry about whether you're going to feel like a second-class citizen because of how you see things in that regard, right? It's hard because like we're a church that usually does a bar afterwards, and we have members of our community that either out of conscience or um, past struggle or for whatever reason don't partake in that, and we're really committed to being a good community for those people too. No second-class citizens. Whatever your struggle, whatever your background, whatever your difficulty, no second-class citizens in the church. That sounds really good when the preacher says it. It's really messy to work it out. But one of the things we're saying with this identity statement is we're committed to working it out together, right? Um... I want to wrap this up because we, 
we had uh, hoped to give ourselves a little extra time to hang out tonight in the name of community, right? Um, the hikikomori, the Japanese, the people who are living in the rooms for months on end, many of the, the cultural commentators who are watching this trend have suggested that perhaps it's a symptom of a culture where there's a lot of shame and it's really hard to be accepted and it's really hard to move out into the world and just have your effort beaten down by people who judge you and look down on you and they're looking at some of the social dynamics in Japan and wondering whether that's especially in play for this half a million or a million people who have found it so difficult that it's just easier to retreat. Well, this is why the next couple of weeks are really important because we're not just a community, a community of grace and peace. Because we, we think that like those two words don't mean much unless we live them in flesh and blood because those two words, grace and peace, don't mean much as doctrines. They mean much as lived experiences that we share as a community, right? And because the kind of community we've got to become, like, it'll only be the kind of community that it needs to be if grace and peace are just like blood in the veins of our church. If grace and peace are energizing us, if grace and peace are our first response to whatever we encounter with one another, if grace and peace are the ways we understand God, and if grace and peace are how we move out into the world around us. Without those words, the community won't mean much. It won't really do much. It'll just be a collection of people in a room, right? Um, so that's why the next two weeks are really important. When I was in grad school, my very first class at Notre Dame, my first day, I was a little nervous. It's fancy school, you know what I mean? I didn't know what would be expected of me. And I walk into this class, it's on the book of Luke and Acts, by the way. And this guy named Luke Timothy Johnson, this very impressive scholar who's from Emory, and just, just a really big deal, right? I'm in the room and I'm nervous, and he does this thing where he just randomly calls on students to read some of the text so he can do some commentary on it. And the first day he calls on this person, I didn't know any of my classmates and was a little uncomfortable around him because you know that freshman thing I had, it was all over again, right? It's like, where are the hot dogs in my dorm room, you know? <laughs> scared. So I'm a little unsettled and I'm watching everything happen and then the professor, he calls on this guy, I didn't know, his name is Cuthbert. He says, Cuthbert, would you read the first text, Luke 1, whatever. And I hear the most beautiful, deepest, richest Irish accent I have ever heard in my life reading the scriptures. I got saved all over again, you guys. <laughs> and like my blood, my, blood, my blood pressure went down a little bit and I breathed deep. And then every so often in class, Prof would call on Cuthbert and he would read. Well, come to find out Cuthbert is a Benedictine monk from Ireland. How cool is that, right? So I'm like on safari and I'm like, what is that strange species in the corner, you know? Which is not a way to think about other people. But at the time, that's kind of what I thought of Cuthbert. So I'm thinking, how do I convince Cuthbert to drink Guinness with me and talk about being an Irish monk without being a stalker, right? <laughs> so I'm literally like on the breaks. Class is like three hours a day, so we do bathroom breaks. And I'm like, I'm like stalking him in the hallway. I'm like trying to just run into him, you know, just so. <laughs> Don't judge. You would have done it too if you would have heard him. Here's what happens. I don't run into him. He comes up to me and he says, are you the pastor from the Methodist megachurch I've been hearing about? Which, if you don't know Granger, the church I came from is Methodist, and it's a big church, right? And I said, yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, that sounds right, you know? And he says, I've got to see that place. And I'm like, okay, the monk wants to see my megachurch. Cool. So I said, I'll make a deal with you. I'll show you my megachurch if you let me buy you a Guinness afterwards and let me pummel you with questions about being a monk. And he says, yes. So I take him to Granger and show him around, and then we go to Fiddler's Hearth downtown here, and we get a Guinness, and we're sitting there together. And I'm just, I'm curious about the monastic life, and I ask more and more questions about how they pray together and live their life together, and Cuthbert interrupts me at some point. He cuts me off. 
And he says, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Don't put me on a pedestal, man. He said, I'm not a monk because I'm so good at praying. He said, I became a monk because I don't know how to pray without my community. He said, I don't know how to pray alone, and I, I need people around me so that we can pray together. And guys, that just like burned into my brain because I grew up in a tradition where it, most, if not all, prayer was mostly like private, right? Like the preacher would pray up front, you know, but otherwise I'd pray on my own time in my own place. And I think in some ways that opened me up to things I still want to learn about today, which is what is it like to pray together, to open up our hearts together, to just sit and breathe together for a little bit, to love one another, to walk with each other, and to decide that whatever we become, we'll become it together because you can't really get there on your own. And we believe you can't bear the image of God alone. I don't even think you can be fully human alone. So we're going to be a community and that's why we're so grateful for the, all the ways that's already happening. So tonight, stick around. Go to Baker's. Get a drink. Get some food. I think we're going to order some, like, just some general plates of food down at Baker's. So if you don't want to order a full meal, well, we got it on us, and you can grab a snack and just hang out for a bit. Maybe you came straight from work and didn't have time for a meal. We'll be on the Facebook Collective, and we'll do the in-home meals coming up soon. And in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about more about the, the nature of our community as a community of grace and peace. Oh, one more thing, um, right out there you'll see there's a TV and there's like a flyover thing going on and that's just this really cool thing that Ryan Yazel figured out with Google where um, that's, that's going to be our neighborhood. So like as we get ready to move into the Studebaker, it's just kind of flying over and showing you different neighbors that we're going to have in the neighborhood. Um, as you think about what maybe you'd be able to do to help support furnishing the Studebaker, maybe that'll help you get inspired. Um, so that's all out there just if you want to take a look at that. And to wrap things up today, um, why don't we stand if you're able, and I'll just offer a uh, sort of eyes open benediction and look at you as I say this. May we become fully human together through Jesus with God's help. May we say in a world that has many other ideas about what that means, may we say it means that we are together. May we look one another in the eye, may we wrap our arms around one another, May we love each other and cheer for each other and walk together as a community of grace and peace for our city. Uh, and we have this way of ending, which is this. Grace and peace be with you. And also with you. Amen.